We're so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, last week, we began a series called Greater Than. It's a five-week series. Andy kicked it off by talking about what it means to say yes to God. We're going to continue in this series even today as we look at what it means to live a life that is greater than the life that we would normally lead. What it means that when we say yes to God, what that leads to is a greater life than you or I could ever hoped or imagined of. But that greater life starts with saying yes to God. Yes to the things of God that are greater than the things that you or I could imagine. And it starts with a simple yes. Let me tell you about the most difficult yes that I've ever come across in my life. I have been married now for 20 years. But getting engaged was the most difficult yes of my life. I was scared out of my mind. I didn't understand. I was confused. I was afraid. I did not know how to go about doing it. So Margie, my wife, and I had dated for quite some time, and I moved back to California. I had finished school. She had a little bit more school left. I would moved to California. We had broken up. I wasn't ready to get engaged. She wasn't about to move to California without it. So we broke up. And uh, about a year goes by, and we hadn't had any contact with each other. And I could not stop thinking about this woman and the relationship that we had had. My love for her continued to grow throughout that year. So I called her, and I said, listen, I, I know this is crazy. Your parents are going to continue to think I'm weird. But I, I, I want to come out. I want to see you. I, I, can't, I, I don't think I can live without you. And so I bought a ring, and I flew out here to Illinois, where she was from. And I got off the plane, and she had set up this most amazing romantic evening of dinner. There was a boat ride out on Lake Michigan. And I think in my mind, she thought that I would ask her right then and there, but I was still so freaked out that I carried the ring in my pocket, and it didn't leave my pocket that evening. We came home. Her parents were up, which was weird, and I thought... Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing happened. And uh, day two, day three, day four, we went to a wedding. We came back, nothing. Still carrying the ring in my pocket, completely flipped out in my mind. And on the last day that I was here, before I was to go back to California, we were driving to Chili's. And out of desperation and frustration, she said, are you going to ask me to marry you? So I decided to seize the moment. <laughs> and while she was driving me to Chili's, I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. It has been 20 years of bliss ever since. The hardest yes of my life yielded the greatest life that I could have possibly imagined. This life that I get to lead today is, is incredibly possible, only possible, 
because I chose to marry her. We have beautiful children and a beautiful home and a very frustrating puppy. But that's all there because I was able to say yes to something greater. And living a life that is about choosing what is greater, that is transformation. Because it's everything in us wants to choose that which is convenient, that which is available, that which is most obvious to us. But what God is calling us to is something greater, and it causes us to say no to the immediate so that we can say yes to that thing that is greater but is out there on the horizon. As followers of Jesus, it can be difficult to set aside the costs and the inconvenience and the fears aside and to say yes, yes to generosity, yes to growing, yes to community, and ultimately yes to God. Living a life that is about choosing what is greater is transformation. And as we have discussed many times in the past, transformation, the transformational process, isn't always a very pleasant one. It can be a struggle. It can be difficult. It can be painful. But it is always leading us to a place of greater than. Transformation always leads us to a place of greater than. And in the long run, God's economy is always better than our own. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to say yes to generosity. Every day, you and I have multiple opportunities to say yes to generosity. The idea that giving is greater than giving, or giving is greater than getting, comes across our path every single day. To fully understand what it means to live a generous life, in order to really grasp that, we have to first understand how and why it is that God created us to be, at the very core of who we are. We must recognize this fundamental truth that God created us to bless us. God put you, God put me, God put us on this earth to bless our lives. And that blessing, I think, is something that we often struggle with because we're not accustomed to, we don't grow up necessarily in a culture that says, I'm here to be blessed. Now, we take blessing And we'll grab for blessing, and we'll cultivate blessing, but it's uncommon for us to recognize the idea that God is here to freely give us that blessing. But a blessing, just for a working definition, a blessing is this, a gift from God designed to help us move down the journey of transformation. This idea of blessing is at the very core of Scripture. In fact, if you've got a Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't, the words are going to be on the screen. Or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, feel free to open up your phone. No one's going to judge you. Uh, Some might. I won't. Uh, But open up to Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he sent out for Haram. Genesis 12 is the beginning of God's plan to bless the world. It's called the Abrahamic covenant because it's a covenant between Abraham and God. It's a promise. It's a commitment. It's a thing that has lasted throughout time and still exists in your life and in my life today, whether we know it or not. But what this moment in time represents is the very first time that the God of the universe steps into an individual's life and says, I am going to bless you. See, up until this point, Abram and all of his people had a smorgasbord of gods, all of whom they tried to keep happy. Their whole life was about the business of keeping the gods happy because if they didn't, if they disappointed one of the many gods, then that god would take away their stuff, would take away their people, would take away their land, would take away their ability to survive. And so this whole moment, this whole group of people, this generation of people is about pleasing and appeasing and making good things for the pantheon of gods. And in this moment, the one true living God speaks to Abram and says, I am here to bless you. And in that moment, he's laying out for Abram a plan, a new equation in which to look at life. And I imagine what was going through Abram's mind is the same thing that would be going through your mind that goes through my mind. God is going to bless me, which means I am going to get a bigger tent. I am going to get more camels. I am about to get a retirement plan filled with sheep. And Abram, like you and like me, would look at God's blessing and say, this is for, from God to me. And my life is about to get good. But God doesn't stop there. What is it that God is promising Abram, who is 75 years old at this moment and childless? He's promising them a nation of children. He is promising them that they will have children and those children will go out into the world and bless the world. Look at what it says in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And then here's the key in verse 3. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He is doing this to Abram so Abram can then turn and bless all the peoples of the world. Now, this word peoples in the Hebrew text is an interesting one because it carries with it the idea of crossing over boundaries and borders. Abram grew up in a tribal culture, and not all of these tribes got along. Many of them didn't like each other. They warred with each other. Much of the Old Testament is about these tribes in conflict with each other. And what the word here, peoples, what God is saying in that word is you have to cross enemy lines and bless the other. 
And in this thing, in this covenant, God is creating a momentum, a flow of blessing from God to Abram to the rest of the world. And it's an incredibly awkward and unusual equation. Let me illustrate it for you this way. So at the very top line is this idea of God's blessing. God's blessing is always intended to be poured upon us in incredible ways. Blessing beyond blessing. God gives His blessing out of a place of overflowing. And all of that flows to you and to me as followers of Jesus Christ. And in this moment, this is me and you. And in this moment, what do we have a tendency to do? To wall that up. and Hold on to that blessing. To say, this is for me and my people. And I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to protect it, and I'm going to increase my own blessedness. So we build these walls, and we hold on to that blessing from God. In fact, we make way to make more blessing. We add on, and we build up, and we protect that blessing. When all along, that blessing was intended to flow out of God through us, and into the lives of the other. And what happens when we slow it down, when we wall it up, when we protect it, is we, we stop the flow of God's blessing in our life. It was intended to go out so that He could give more, but when we wall it up, it just stays right there and it stagnates. And a stagnated blessing from God does good for no one, not you, and certainly not the others around you. There's a writer that I like very much. He's a theologian and a writer and a missiologist, and his name is Don Richardson, and he's an expert in the area of global mission. And he has this incredible line that I have lived by for a long time. It's, it goes like this, every top-line blessing comes with a bottom-line responsibility. Every top-line blessing that you or I have been given comes with a bottom-line responsibility. And that responsibility is the other among us. God's blessing is that top-line experience. And this is how we move to a life that is marked by generosity when we recognize that it does no one, not even me, any good to wall up God's blessing, that the benefit, the blessing is made more complete as I let go and I push it out into the world. That's how God changes us into the people that He wants us to be. But why? Why does He want that? Why did He create this really weird equation because He loves us, and He wants to keep blessing us. He loves you so much that He cannot leave you in this place. He wants a greater life for you, and that greater life is one of generosity. 
The hardest thing about this equation, about this plan, is believing in your own blessing. Believing that you have been blessed. And I'm telling you, each one of you have, whether you've been a follower of Jesus for a day, or whether you're still kicking the tires of Christianity, you've not yet yielded your life to Christ, or whether you've been a Christian for a hundred years, you have been blessed. In order to pass that on, you have to believe that and to know that. You have to identify it. So I, can know, I know one thing. I know that in this room, all of us have been blessed in at least one of the next four ways. So I want to help you in the time we have left to, re, to identify a blessing that you have. And I know every one of us has at least one of these four that I'm going to talk about. The first one is time. Every one of us is blessed with time. If you say that you are maxed out, that I have no time, I'm completely too busy, I would say that's not true. You're just a bad time manager. We are all given 1,440 minutes in every day. And each one of those minutes is a blessing from God to you to be used by, to, some, to bless someone else. Right now, there are 72 million children under the age of 18. 33% of those 72 million go to bed every night without a father figure in the home. Is it possible that you could find 30 of those 1,400 minutes to mentor one of those people, one of those children who, grew, who is growing up in a home without a father figure? Could you use 60 of those 1,400 minutes to tutor a kid who's a little bit behind in school? Could you use 90 of those 1,400 minutes to volunteer, to serve, to give, to give a piece of your time away? That blessing that you have that you could give to somebody else. So time. The second is treasures. We all have them. Every one of them requires a bottom line responsibility. Every treasure you have ever been given requires a bottom line responsibility. Because every one of them is a blessing. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been cleaning out our basement, taking things out to the curb, and it is staggering how much stuff I can accumulate in a basement. It's unbelievable. And in this process, as we've been preparing and getting rid of things in our basement, I'm realizing how little I actually need to live and to survive. I suspect that if we were to empty out all of our basements, all of our garages, all of our storage units, we were to dump all that stuff into the parking lot here at the church, we could bless thousands of people. Now, don't send me an email saying, let's have a church garage sale, because that is not going to happen. We're not doing that. It's not going to happen. What I'm encouraging you to do is to take inventory of your treasures. Each one of them is a blessing. Each one of them requires a bottom line responsibility. And decide, can I live without this thing so that I might bless somebody else? And I'm not talking about money, although that is part of it. But in our culture and in our society, quite frankly, giving up of our money is easier at times than giving up our stuff. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to recognize that as citizens of this country, we live beyond 99% of the rest of the world in terms of our stuff. 
then your stuff can benefit and bless somebody else. So time treasures. The third is talents. You are a creation of the one true living God. You were made in His image, and as a result, every one of you has a talent. And every one of those talents comes with a bottom line responsibility. Something that you are uniquely wired by God to do. That talent is there. It's been given to you so that you can bless others. I've been a pastor for 28 years. And I've never yet met somebody who didn't have a talent that they could turn around and bless the world with. So time, talent, treasures. The fourth is passions. We all have them. Maybe for you it's sports. Maybe for others it's art. What is your passion? And how can you leverage that passion in an effort to bless the world around you? Maybe you can turn that passion into something specific that will bless someone else. But we allow our time, our talents, our treasures, and our passions to build up. We justify this in a lot of ways. We get storage units, and we buy bigger houses and more cars, and it becomes stagnant. We wall it up, and that blessing of God just stays right there, and it grows stagnant. And it doesn't help you, and it doesn't help anyone else. And it does nothing, more importantly, it does nothing to move your relationship into a place of transformation. Look at what uh, Jesus says in John chapter 17. And you send me into the world as I have sent them into the world. Jesus is teaching, he is saying here in this moment, this very same pattern. God sent me to bless the world and I am sending you to bless the world. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. We are designed, everything we have been given is to bless others. The biblical concept here is living a generous life, one that blesses the other, is greater than living a life that holds on to, you fill in the blank, whatever it is you're holding on to. So why, again, is this important? Look at Philippians chapter 2, Five and 7 says, Your attitude should be that the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but to make himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. We do this because this was the pattern that God established, and it was the model that Jesus left us. That Jesus emptied himself out He had everything God could ever give to any one of us, and yet He emptied that out for everyone. Most noticeably, the other. So every day, you have the opportunity to choose a greater life. That life starts with a yes, a yes to to God, and a yes to living a life marked by generosity. But this culture, this world will tell you that you need to hold on to everything that you've been given. Or even worse, it will convince you that you don't have anything to give. And my encouragement to you this morning, my challenge to you this morning, is to ignore both of those lies. You do not need to hold on to it, and you have been given things to bless others with. 
So I want you to consider two things. What has God blessed you with that you can pass on? What is it that God has given you that you can turn around and bless someone else with? The second thing I want to challenge you with is who are the others in your life? Who's the other tribe that you have to cross a boundary or a barrier or a border to get to? Could be children in another country who need water, or it could be the neighbor across the street barely keeping his family afloat. This morning, I challenge you with that. What is it that you have been given that you can give? And who is the other in your life that you need to give to? Father, we come before you this morning humbled. Humbled by the incredible ways that you have given to us. That you have blessed us with so much. God, would you challenge us? Would you remind us? Would you push and pull in our hearts? Would you transform us to a place where we recognize that we have stuff that we can give away? And would you give us the boldness to step across a boundary, to step across a border, to step across the street, to give the blessing to the other? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. What is amazing gift that we awakened this morning with the breath of life in our lungs for another day. If you sit in this room this morning and you're one of those individuals that Dave described who is struggling to see where you're blessed, let it begin there that you awakened with breath in your lungs for another day. I hope that today you spend some time thinking through the time, talents, treasures, and passions that God has placed in you, not only for the abundance of your own life, but to be poured out for the sake of others in the world. What an amazing invitation that God extends to us that he invites us into the process of being a part of blessing the world. That's amazing. Next week, I invite you to come back. Ruth Haley Barton, who is a renowned and sought after speaker, writer, expert in the area of spiritual transformation and growth will be with us to ask the question, what does it look like for us to order our lives in such a way that we begin living into some rhythms that help us grow in our relationship with God so we can live more fully for the sake of others? For now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the breath of life in our lungs for another day. And God, we pray 
that you would show us and give us the courage to step into those opportunities to pour out your blessing on other people. And God, right now in this season too, we pray for Dave and Margie and their family, Lord. And we pray, God, that all that he and Margie generously pour out, God, that you would restore them during the season of sabbatical and rest, that you would revitalize the life that you've given them. Lord, that you would stir up passions that have been dormant for a while, that have been in a season of waiting, and that you would ignite and mobilize those passions. Not only that Dave and Margie would be refreshed, God, but that they would do what we know they already do, which is pour out those blessings and those passions on others for your glory. So God, we thank you for this time. Mobilize us, your church, to bless the world. In Jesus' name, amen.